0: Down to business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, the government's summer economic statement published this week shows that the forthcoming budget will contain spending and tax measures equal to 6.7 billion. This has been described as a temporary once-off increase, which breaches the government's own spending rule of 5% in the medium strategy, which was agreed between 2023 to 2025. Uh, Economist Jim Power thinks that political expediency is now getting in the way of sound economic judgment, and he joins me now to discuss this. Good morning to you, Jim. Uh, Good morning, Bobby. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, Firstly, can you give us the background to this 5% strategy and just explain it to us, if you would?
1: Yeah, last this time last year, when the government published the equivalent summer economic statement, um, it set a medium-term budgetary strategy based on public spending growing no more than 5% per annum between 2023 and 2025. And this 5% limit was predicated on an average inflation rate of 2% plus 3% real growth in the economy. So that was the sort of metric that was used, and the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council came out at the time, basically lauding this new medium-term expenditure strategy. Um, so that's the background, and okay. you know, it, it represents, I think, sound management of the public finances and makes some effort to try and keep a lid on public spending.
0: Okay, we'll come back to the political side of it in a minute, but let's let's just look at the. I suppose, the, the headwind that is inflation. If we look at across Europe, we've got Estonia at over 20 percent, Germany at nearly 9 percent. Um, like These are significant European increase, and it's all probably mostly on the back of a 40 percent uh, energy hike that most nations are having to deal with.
1: Yeah, I mean, w- w- the cost—the so-called cost of living crisis we're experiencing in this country um, on the back of a surge in inflation is not unique to Ireland. As you say, uh, virtually every country in the world has experienced a dramatic surge in prices over the last eight or nine months. Initially, it was caused by the um, legacy of COVID-19, all of that disruption to supply and demand that happened over that two years. You know, as the restrictions were lifted, we got a surge in inflation. But the view at the beginning of the year was that this surge would prove temporary, that as supply chain started to free up post-COVID and as demand started to settle back down to a normal pattern again, that inflationary pressures would gradually ease as 2022 progressed. And then, of course, in February, we had the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, That has had a huge impact on energy costs on the costs of metals, and also on food prices, because that part of the world is an incredibly important provider of those goods. So we've seen inflation surge as a result of that. Okay, yeah. And Jim, if we talk
0: about food inflation, which, you know, I was talking to somebody recently who told me that it takes a year for food inflation to find its way from the likes of the Ukraine, say the start of the Ukraine crisis. So that means that, you know, we haven't even seen the beginning of real food inflation, that 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 could be yet to
1: come. Yeah, I mean, Bobby, there's there's a number of ways in which food price inflation is gonna come into the system. Um, One of the key exports out of the Ukraine, Russia, Belarus region is potash, which is a key ingredient in fertilizer because of the war, the availability and the price of potash has increased dramatically. And that has fed directly through to a significant increase in fertilizer prices for farmers. And this is a particular issue in poor countries, for example, in rice producing countries and rice feeds over half of humankind um, with more expensive fertilizers, they will cut back on the use of fertilizer that will affect the rice crop over the coming year. In relation to wheat, which is a major export out of Ukraine, um, a lot of wheat has been destroyed in storage by Russian bombs. A lot of wheat cannot be exported because of the mines in the um, in the water. And um, it's also the case that okay. um, Ukrainian farmers are finding it very difficult to actually plant wheat. So there's a serious question mark over the, the crop, the wheat crop over the next 12 months. And of course, on right. top of all of that, we have this overriding situation where climate change globally is having a seriously disrupting influence on food production. So the bottom line is that everything would suggest that there's going to be a serious food shortage globally over the next 12 months, that the price of food will rise. And the the FAO, which is the Food and Agriculture Organization, which is part of the United Nations, it recently warned that upwards of 800 million people could be facing serious food poverty um, over the next 12 months. So I think you are correct in your assessment that Um, We ain't seen nothing yet in terms of food price inflation. And from a political perspective, you know, energy is a problem. But when food prices start to escalate, that's when it becomes a real political problem.
0: Yeah. And and Jim, the other thing, I suppose, is the elephant in the room is our dependence. Well, the European dependence on Russia uh, for energy. So, you know, I I think you were were saying that the, the Finns have now realized that they have to stop objecting to wind farms, yes. they have to start building nuclear power plants because the last thing any country wants in going into the next couple of years is to be dependent on Russia for its energy.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the situation was pre the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, that there was an obvious imperative to try and reduce all of our dependence on fossil fuels and particularly imported fossil fuels. Um, That imperative has been seriously um, accelerated by the Russian invasion. And um, I think anybody who would argue that we shouldn't pursue a strategy uh, to reduce our dependence on imported fossil fuels from what is now a very volatile part of the world um, is missing the big picture here. Um, We really do have to ramp up the development of alternative energy. And, you know, I've always been a fan of wind energy. I'm a fan of solar energy. Um, but I don't believe either of those is a solution, a total solution. What we need to do is to create a portfolio of different alternative energies. For for example, when the wind isn't blowing, have some other form of alternative energy to kick in. And nuclear is the obvious way to go as well. Um, and OK, I, I would also say that none of these things are those alternative energies are a total silver bullet solution because they all have downsides. Yeah. You know, with wind, there's the visual, um, solar farms, you know, people worry about glare, nuclear, people worry about safety, and there are sort of carbon emissions associated with every form of energy anyway, such yeah. as making the wind bay and so on. But there, there is no perfect solution if we want to continue to live and consume energy. But what we've got to try and do is, number one, ensure that we reduce our dependence on imported energy From what is becoming an increasingly volatile part of the world and i think one of the serious risks in europe later this year would be significant energy rationing particularly of natural gas and the second thing we obviously have to do is to you know continue to develop alternative energy in pursuit of our climate change agenda which is to reduce carbon emissions by 51 percent by 2030. so uh, for, for those NIMBYs out there who are against all forms of alternative energy they really need to think about their priorities at this juncture in my view
0: okay let's go back to the numbers for a second right and i want to i want to talk about the numbers in the context of pre covid so if we go back to t- 2019 and we look at the tax revenues for 2022 so far they're up 8.4 billion nearly 40% up like so there's a lot of money swishing around there that wasn't there in the past. And there's a serious political temptation, particularly with Sinn Féin possibly coming over the hill to spend as much as this uh, and maybe not in the most progressive manner. Would you accept that?
1: I I would totally accept that. I mean, the one thing we've seen in Ireland during COVID and after COVID, if you want to describe where we are now is after COVID, um, tax revenue buoyancy has been a key feature Um, and in the first six months of this year, we've taken in almost 37 billion, which is over 7 billion up on this time last year. Um, so it does dramatic. That's 25% increase. There's dramatic tax revenue buoyancy and it's coming from income tax, from VAT and from corporation tax. The question, of course, is should one spend money as a government on the back of tax revenue buoyancy? Back in two thousand and seven, eight, in the run up to that period, the government spent a lot of money on the basis of construction related taxes that proved transitory. And when they disappeared, we had a serious problem in the public finances. This time round, the area of vulnerability has got to be on the corporation tax side. Um, corporation tax in the first six months of this year, eight point eight billion, and it accounted for almost twenty four percent of the tax take. Over the last decade, corporation tax typically accounted for up to fifteen percent of the tax take. So that corporation tax buoyancy, it's great, but will it continue? And should but we've government... said that for years, Jim? We, we have said that for years, and well, well, it seems to have continued. Yeah, we, we we have been saying it for years, Bobby. But the reality is, and it has continued, and hopefully it will continue, and indeed. The IDA's results earlier this week for the half year would suggest the IDA is still proving very successful in attracting foreign direct investment into the country. But listen, if we get a significant recession in the United States over the next 12 months, and that effectively is what the Federal Reserve is trying to engineer at the moment to get inflation under control, there is a risk that those big U.S. companies who operate here may decide to cut back on investments around the world, but particularly overseas, well, in countries like Ireland, and then we could find ourselves with um, some vulnerability on the corporation tax side. What I think we should be doing, actually, with this corporation tax um, windfall is putting it into some sort of sovereign wealth fund. um, Rainy day money. Exactly. Or or else investing it in permanent infrastructure that would improve the long-term growth potential of the country. The risk is that we just spend this money on cost of living packages that are spread across the whole country and not targeted, that we just end up with this massive spending base. And suddenly, if taxes started to become vulnerable, we then have a serious problem. And that would be my deep concern about this. But the politics dictate otherwise. All right. Well, on that cautionary note from economist Jim Power,
0: we'll leave it there, Jim. And I know you're going to be wishing me well. Uh, on the hurling on, on uh, uh, this day of week, so thanks for thanks for your good wishes there as well. <laughs> Jim Power, economist, as always, thanks thanks for a great a great economic review. Down to business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at eleven on News Talk.